22. And so in our study of 1 Corinthians, our theme for the year has been simply church matters. Amen? And so since church matters, we've got to deal with matters within the church. And the matter at hand at the church of Corinth was that they had become a little bit loose in their liberty. And so Paul was dealing with matters that were really out of order in the church. Earlier in the chapter, we looked at how they were out of order in their gender roles and their understanding of their God-given gender and gender roles and responsibilities. We will see this week, next week, how they were out of order in their gatherings. We'll see in chapters 12 and 13, they were out of order in their gifts. But church, hear me, God has a way that he expects things to be done decently and in order. In fact, when this whole section is summed up in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, we see that Paul summarizes the whole section this way. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now apparently, worship at Corinth had gotten a little bit wild and woolly. So much so that in chapter 14, verse 23, Paul makes the comment that if an unbeliever were to walk in, you can jump to the second half, Liz, that if an unbeliever were to walk in or somebody who wasn't discipled were to walk in, they would have thought that all of these Christians at Corinth were flat crazy. And so apparently things had gotten a little wild and woolly. Church, it matters how we act when we come together as the body of Christ. It matters how we worship together. It matters how we work together. It matters how we follow Christ and walk together as Christians. But as we look at the church of Corinth, sadly, this this disorder even extended to how they observed the Lord's Supper when they came to the Lord's table. Table manners are still important. You ought to have order in your home. Now, every home is different. I, I think of the stark contrast between the home I grew up in and the home my wife grew up in. Dinner time was very different. At my house, there were three sons, and at dinner time, we ate. And if you didn't eat, you went without. And what I mean by that is you had about 45 seconds before it was gone. And you either staked your claim or you went hungry. My wife grew up with three sisters. So they didn't have rules like slow down. They had rules like no singing at the table. (laughs) I've told the story before. I remember the first time I ate with her family. We had pizza. I was three and a half pieces in before I looked up and realized nobody else was done with their first. Hmm. Last night, wife cooked a delicious meal. We were all, me and all three of the kids were two helpings in. And I looked up and I realized mama was halfway through hers. And I said, no more kids. But I did tell them, I said, you guys have inherited the Holmes eating habits. I said, that will serve you well. (laughs) The houses don't need to be the same. But we ought to have order at our tables, amen. Wash your hands, sit down. Put your phone away. Pray and give thanks. Pass the food and please chew with your mouth closed. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Now church, if there ought to be manners at your house, there ought to be manners at God's house. And if there ought to be manners at your table, there ought to be manners when we come to God's table. 
So I want to look at these verses today at a couple of truths that help us to get right and to get ready to worship the Lord together and to come to his table. We're going to start by looking at verses 23 and 24. Paul said this, speaking of the Lord's table and the Lord's supper, he said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. As we consider our manners at the Lord's table this morning, notice with me first our focus on his person. Our focus on his person. He said, this do in remembrance of me. You know, when we come to church, when we come to the Lord's table and have communion, when we worship together, it is not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. We are doing this in remembrance of who, church? In remembrance of Jesus. Now the church at Corinth was, was, was very shallow and very selfish in how they were conducting their worship. We saw earlier in this passage that this church was full of division. Go back to verse 17. Paul wrote this. He said, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. He said, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them which have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So Paul points out here that this church was full of divisions. It was being torn apart by, by different groups. Now it seems to me Paul is highlighting here uh, divisions that were taking place along economic lines. And so we had those in the church that had and we had those in the church who did not have. And those that had were, were keeping it for themselves and those who did not have were going hungry. But we already know Paul has addressed other divisions in this church. They were divided over personalities. Some would say I'm of Paul. Some would say I'm of Peter. Some would say I'm of Apollos or Jesus. Or, and they were all divided over all of these Silly little things. Church, divisions are rooted in selfishness. Such divisions are rooted in selfishness. We have here Paul referencing a, a, like a potluck that they were having. Some hoarded and gorged themselves to the point where they were drunk. While others went hungry. Such divisions are rooted in selfishness. By the way, before we're quick to judge the church at Corinth, Christians and churches today have likewise become shallow and selfish. 
Because you see, the consumer culture in which we live has come to the point where we even filter church through the lens of self. We often are fairly shallow in our worship. Boy, I hope it's a good speaker today, or I hope he's got a good topic. I hope they sing the kind of music that I like. We become shallow in our fellowship. We surround ourselves with people who are like us. And that's normal and natural. Except if we stop there, we are stopping at a very shallow place. Because the body of Christ is not meant to be divided on economic lines or ethnic lines or fill in a whole lot of other lines as well. Very often we view the fellowship as a place to find people who are exactly like us or network and build ourselves instead of loving and building up those in need around us. The bottom line is this. Church is not about you. It's not about me. Church is about Jesus. And here's the thing, such divisions, such selfishness in the body. Do you know what it does? Selfishness in this body makes a mockery of his body. What does communion remind us? What does the Lord's Supper remind us? The Lord's Supper reminds us this, that Jesus' body was broken, that this body might be unified. Galatians 3 and verse number 28 puts it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Jesus Christ. His body was broken that we might be unified. Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus reminds us that his sacrifice, it reminds us of his sacrifice for us. But his sacrifice for us is meant to spur us to serve and love one another. I love what Jesus said in John 15 and verse number 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another. What's the qualifier? As I have loved you. And so as we consider the Lord's body that was broken and his blood that was spilled, as we turn our focus to Jesus, it reminds us it's not about me. And it's not about you. It's about him. His broken body reminds me of the unity he desires for us. His shed blood, his service reminds me of the love and service he desires we have for one another. And church, when I make it about me, I mock and mutilate the message. I love what Paul said. You want to make it about you? Don't you have houses in which you can eat and drink and be as selfish as you please? If you want to make it about you, great. Go home. Knock yourself out. But when we come together, when we come together as a body, when we come together in Jesus' name, when we focus on the person of Jesus, do you know what happens? When we focus on the person of Jesus, we find harmony in his name. The psalmist said this in Psalm 133, verse number 1. Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When we focus on the person of Jesus, we will find harmony in his name. 
A me first church will never reach a me first world. A me first Christian will never be blessed by or be a blessing to a Jesus first church. And I'm going to tell you, if we're going to come to the Lord's table, we better get it right from the start. Church is not about a man. It is not about a pastor. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's not even about the church building up its own prominence and the church being known in the community. The church is not about you and your felt needs. The church is about Jesus. So let's lift up Jesus. After all, he's still the answer, amen? For every hurt, for every home, for every heart. And when we focus on his person, what does that allow us to do? It allows us to bring harmony to the table. So what are these table manners? Number one, we see our focus on his person. That's not all Paul told us we needed to focus on. Look back at verse 23. Paul said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So we see first our focus on his person. But we see secondly this morning that we are to have a focus on his passion. So not just a focus on his person, but we should come with a focus on his passion. Church, we do well when we focus on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the key. To my salvation. I couldn't go to him. And so he came to me. I couldn't pay for my sin. And so he died. And then rose again that I might live. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24. Peter put it this way. Who his own self. Bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. I'm going to tell you, it's easy to take for granted what happened there. It's easy to look past the importance and the significance of the cross. To forget that the creator of all creation was abused by his creation. That God the Father and Son, who are eternally one, were separated in that moment as Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's easy to forget that the Holy One of all eternity, the Righteous One, was willing to wear our unrighteousness that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, Paul puts it this way. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
If it wasn't for the cross, humanity would have no hope. If it wasn't for the cross, there could be no forgiveness of sin. Church, we do well when we focus on the cross. Something happens when we focus on the cross. When we focus, as we said earlier, on his person, it allows us to bring harmony to the table. His body was broken that we, this body might be one. But when we focus on his passion, you know what it allows? When we focus on his passion, it allows us to bring humility to the table. Because you know what the cross reminds us? The cross reminds us that we have nothing by which we might set ourselves above another. The cross strips away and eliminates any ground for selfishness or sinfulness in the church. Paul made this comment in Galatians 6 and verse 14. He said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross strips it all away. Anything that I might use to set myself above you or you might use to set yourself above me, when we come to the cross, it's all gone. Moreover, anything that I might hold against you or you might hold against me, when we come to the cross, it's gone. The cross, the cross... The cross, when we stop and recognize the cost, by the way, it will change how we view the meal. You know, sometimes kids are wont to complain about what's put on their plate. Why'd you fix that again? Anybody else ever heard that? Eat it. Eat it. Right? Got to lower the voice, get the eyes down, just eat it. (laughs) But you know, sometimes in in, in helping the kids to remember the work that that mama put in, to remember the work that daddy put in, it it changes the way you view what's put in front of you. We ought never come to the Lord's house and we ought never come to the Lord's table without remembering what it cost to make it possible. Oh, there's nothing that we could use to set ourselves above others. There's there's nothing that we in reality can use to to hold against one another. Why? Because the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if Jesus has forgiven So should we. The cross is the only reason for our salvation. The cross is the only reason for our success. You realize, Christian, that your success, your sanctification, your growth in grace, the the man or the woman you are today in Jesus is only because of the cross. That on the cross, Jesus didn't just deal with the penalty of your sin. He dealt with the power of sin over you. Because of the cross, everything changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we are a new creature. 
Because of the cross, those of us who are a child of the devil now can become a child of God. Amen? Those of us who lived in the kingdom of darkness can now live in the kingdom of light. Those who us who were dead in trespasses and sin are born again into the family of God. Those of us who were debtors with a debt we could never pay are now joint heirs with Christ. Everything about us that's worth anything is because of the cross. And the cross reminds us of the beautiful truth that although God doesn't need us, sometimes it's good just to remember that. God doesn't need us. Although God doesn't need us, he wants us. And he has provided everything that we might have a relationship with him. And so when we bring our focus on his passion, you know what it allows us to do? It allows us to bring humility to the table. So let's talk about table manners this morning. First of all, church, what was it? We're going to bring our focus what? Our focus on his person. And what does that allow us? When we, when we have our focus on his person, it, it allows us to bring what to the table? Harmony. What to the table, church? Harmony. There we go. Secondly, our, our focus on his what? On his passion. And when we focus on his death for us, what does it allow us to bring to the table? We can bring humility to the table. One other thought before we go this morning. Look at verse 26. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. What are those last three words? Till he come. So we have our focus on his person. We have our focus on his passion. And finally this morning, our focus on his promise. Our focus on his promise. You see, when we come to the Lord's table and we come together, we do remember the Lord's death. His body was broken. It did bear our sin. His blood was shed. It does wash away our sin. Amen? But as we consider the Lord Jesus, such consideration does not end with an old rugged cross. You see, you and I don't gather together in the name of a dead Jewish man who lived several thousand years ago. That's not why I'm here today. I'm not worried about uh, the, the war going on over there and, and the, the Jesus and this and that. The grave is empty, amen? The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. That has been the declaration of the church from the very beginning. The, the sermon at Pentecost, Peter preached. Acts 2, and beginning in verse 22, Peter said this, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Hear me, church. We do not gather today 
in the name of a dead Jewish man. Jesus is alive. Jesus rose in power and glory over death. Paul in Romans 1 verses 3 and 4 put it this way. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Yes, Jesus Christ rose again bodily from the grave. And today, church, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in glory. Today, church, Jesus is our great high priest who we can come to with any need at any time. Today, church, Jesus is our advocate. He defends us before the throne of God. Today, church, Jesus is our unfailing rock. Today, church, Jesus is our intercessor. Today, church, Jesus is our light. Today, Jesus is our king. As far as the church goes, for us, Jesus is our cornerstone. He is our soon-coming bridegroom. He is our good shepherd. Jesus is alive. We do come and focus on his person and we focus on his passion and his cross. But we also focus on his promise because Jesus is no longer on a cross. Jesus is seated on a throne. And one day, and I believe one day very soon, Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. When he left, it was the first thing that the angel said in Acts 1 and verse 11, that this same Jesus, as you've seen him go, he's coming again. Amen. And I believe that. I love how Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 16. For the Lord himself. Not an angel in his stead, not a look-alike, not a fill-in. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, but shall rise together to meet them. Oh, sorry, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And in case you were worried maybe that Jesus forgot about what he said, when Jesus closed out the canon of Scripture in Revelation 22, his last words to us in verse number 20 was, He which testifieth these things saith, What is it, church? Say it with me. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Preacher, do you really believe that Jesus is coming again? Yes, I do. Preacher, do you really believe that Jesus is coming soon? Yes, I do. Well, you say, well, preacher, people have been saying that for years. Paul thought Jesus was coming in his day. Guess what? I'm like 2,000 years more right than Paul was on this. So, 
Preacher, do you believe that the trumpet could sound at any moment? Yes, I do. Church, the signs of the times are all around us. The geopolitical implications of what are taking place in our world right now is immense. I mean, it's, it's, it's immense. You see, there's a lot of Bible prophecy regarding the nation of Israel that's not yet been fulfilled. And we see right now all around us, you look at who the major players are. Israel, Iran, Russia, China. Read some of the minor prophets. Read Ezekiel. Look in the book of Revelation. You know what you'll find? You'll find those countries. The geopolitical implications around us are immense. We could be seeing the fulfillment of prophecy happening in front of our eyes. The signs of the times are all around us. Get ready. I think about, you, you look in the Bible, and the Bible talks about different, different, uh, different uh, uh, things in the end times as far as humanity and how humanity will be. And you think about even the technology that's developed, the tech that we have now. The Bible talks about how, how men run, will run to and fro over all the earth. That, that's something that has happened really in the last 100 years, that men are now running to and fro over all the earth. You think about how the Bible talks about a, a one world economy and, 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 and currency and all of those things. Church, wake up. These things are, are happening all around us. I found it interesting that... Uh, Especially in the book of Revelation, it talks about the economy of the Antichrist. And it talks about how no man can buy or sell uh, except that they have the, the mark of the beast. They have the certain mark. And, uh, you know, I, I thought some of these, uh, we, we didn't see it so much in our country, but we saw it in a lot of other developed countries in Europe and Australia and New Zealand and others. Uh, but, but a lot of these uh, COVID vaccine passports where you couldn't go into certain businesses. You couldn't buy or sell or do certain things unless you had the right mark. The COVID vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Stop that. Don't stop. Just stop. But man, the policies and procedures underneath of it seem pretty effective. It talks about how you'll have the mark in your hand or your forehead. I find it interesting that Amazon is rolling out in their stores here in the U.S., in their Whole Foods stores, you can now pay for your groceries by scanning your palm. I mean, like, all of these things that weren't possible 10 years ago are at our doorstep today. It used to be 100 years ago, you'd read Bible prophecy, and Bible prophecy would talk about how, how basically their bodies, their eyes, and things would dissolve before they hit the ground, and you'd wonder, huh, how's that possible? Well, with our weaponry now, we can do that about 17 different ways, amen? It's here. Preacher, do you really believe that Jesus is coming soon? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And if the last five years have showed us anything, it shows us how quickly things can change. I truly believe Jesus is coming again. 
We need to be ready. We need to get ready. And we need to stay ready. I can remember growing up, as we got older, mom and dad would sometimes leave us at the house alone. And I I will never admit to ever doing anything wrong. Um, So this is by no means an admission of guilt. Should my parents watch this later? It's all in the hypothetical. But perhaps hypothetically, we were given a job to do. And we knew we had time, right? We had time. We had time. So, you know, we did what three boys would do. And we roughhoused and played games and did all sorts of who knows whatever, hypothetically speaking. But, you know, there would come a point in time, the way the house was angled, when mom and dad would turn into that driveway and we'd see that front living room window light up, we'd know... It's time to get ready. (laughs) Mom and daddy are home. So sometimes it was a scramble. Sometimes it wasn't. But regardless, when the lights hit the window, everything changed. I'm going to tell you, church, Jesus is coming again. The signs of the times are all around us. We better get ready. And we better stay ready. And here's the thing. So we talked about when we focus on his person, what does it allow us to bring to the table? When we focus on his person, we bring what to the table? Harmony, right? When we focus on his passion, what do we bring to the table? We bring humility. But when we focus on his promise, do you know what it allows us to bring to the table? Hope. 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 Because remember what Paul said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 5 and verse number 5. He said this, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13 challenges us this way, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, that means be serious, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because as Paul writes in Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Here's the thing. When I look at this world, I see a lot of storm clouds on the horizon. When I look at, at, at the things that our state is facing, we talked about it last week, I see storm clouds on the horizon. When I look at things happening in Israel, I see storm clouds on the horizon. When I look at things happening in China and Russia, I see storm clouds on the horizon. When I look at the economy and see these numbers coming out month after month, honestly, I see storm clouds on the horizon. But here's the thing about God's people. Yes, there are storm clouds on the horizon, but when we come here there's no doom and there's no gloom because my focus isn't on the storm my focus is on the sun by the way Christians you shouldn't be just as depressing as the world if your Facebook is just as depressing as your unsaved neighbor stop it stop it stop it stop it because when we focus on his promise you know what we bring to the table hope 
hope. Hope. I'm going to tell you, there are so many Christians and so many churches that are just all out of sorts. And I think it's because we've largely forgotten our table manners. But though that is the situation all around us, the beautiful thing is it doesn't have to be the situation with us. Let me ask you today, Christian, how are we doing with our harmony? How are we doing with our unity in this body? His body was broken so that this body doesn't have to be. How are we doing with our harmony? Are we really giving of ourselves to reach beyond our comfort zone to love and to help and to, and to, and to build up people around us, whether or not they're like us? Or How are we doing with our harmony? Can I ask us, how are we doing with our humility? You know, when we focus on the cross, it really wipes away anything that we could hold above another or against another. See, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Christian, how are we doing with our humility? And finally this morning, how are we doing with our hope? Don't buy into Fox News and CNN. They'll tell you, oh, it's all gone to pot. I'm going to tell you, let it go to pot. Jesus is coming again. And you know what? He's still on the throne. I'm not worshiping a dead Jewish man. I am worshiping the sovereign king of the universe. And none of this is out of his control. And I am completely in his care. And one day, and one day very, very soon, he is coming again. With, with that, what does it matter what I face? What does it matter what we face when that is our reality? Jesus is coming again. Boy, isn't it good to know the Lord? Church, I pray. And we take some time this morning and make sure that we're bringing with us the table manners that we are.